Chapter Seven of the Night Side of New York by members of the New York Press. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Dance Houses. If Terpsichore, the heathen goddess who was supposed to preside over the gay and festive dance, had been permitted to visit the temples devoted to her worship in the low slums of New York, she would probably have hung up her fiddle and retired from the profession in disgust. It is along the river fronts of the city and in the streets tributary to them that these nurseries of depravity licentiousness murder and all manner of atrocity chiefly have their location they abound more upon the eastern verge of the lower part of the city than elsewhere the most notorious of them being situated in water and cherry streets it is in these streets chiefly that seafaring men find a temporary shelter in the numerous sailors' lodging-houses with which the quarter seethes. The crimps have their stronghold here, and Jack's hard-earned wages and well-fought-for prize-money is the inflowing capital upon which these sharks carry on their infamous calling. If you walk the place by day, and it would not be advisable for you to do so by night, you will observe the nautical character of the signs and names of the various places of entertainment. Neptune's retreat invites the mariner to repose at one corner, and over the way yonder a very rickety-looking crib informs you by its signboard that it rejoices in the big name of the Oceanic Arbor. There is a sailor's rest, where many a poor fellow has doubtless paid dearly for his night's repose, and the harpoon strongly suggests to the beholder the possibility of a lodger being occasionally mistaken for a right whale and nailed to the counter with the terrible fish spear from which the den takes its name jack ashore has long been notable for his tendency to indulge in the lively dance who has not heard of nay seen a sailor's hornpipe if not in real life at least on the stage so it is that, in most seaport towns, Jack's taste has been catered to by the establishment of the class of tavern known as the Dance House. In no city in the world, perhaps, are those places of resort more rife, more dissolute, and more dangerous than they are in the city of New York, and as but few outsiders ever have a chance of visiting them in safety, a brief account of them will doubtless be acceptable to many readers we will go together then as it were the reader and the writer into the low district of the town drained by water street and have a look at things there after dark not alone do we go however my country friend because if you and i happen to be ever so athletic even and armed all the way down the spine that would serve us in but little stead in case of a difficulty unless we had with us as guide and companion one of the recognized officers of the law. By application to the proper authorities, we, as members of the journalistic fraternity, are promptly provided with the services of an intelligent and thoroughly posted detective, with whom, gathering much information as we walk along, we soon arrive in the heart of the dangerous region. But our detective friend, although a bold man, is also a discreet one. He has had his little experiences espying the green light of a police station in one of the narrow byways he makes for it and presently returns with a reinforcement of a very smart-looking officer attired like himself in plain citizen's costume 
He would like, he says, to have a handy patrolman to back him in case of trouble, and there was no telling but such might happen at any moment. Presently we stopped before a dingy den with a lantern on the door and a sound of shaky music within. We enter the rickety portal and find ourselves at once in a long, low apartment, bare of any kind of furniture excepting the benches that stand against the walls. At the farther end of the room there is a bar, not different in its general aspect from the bars of most low groggeries, and behind it there stands an ugly fellow of sinister aspect who has control of the abominable poisons that are there retailed. Placards hung up behind the bar inform the customers that all drinks are ten cents, and furthermore that all dances are twenty cents, which is a proof of the great value attached by slum society to the latter luxury. There does not happen to be any dance going on at the moment of our entrance, so let us pause a moment and take note of the surroundings. Next the bar, and in a line with it, though elevated a foot or two above it, is a sort of pulpit in which are seated two musicians, one of whom tunes feebly the notes of a wheezy violin. The other is a stout mulatto, who has rings in his ears, blue and red anchors tattooed upon his gingerbread-colored hands, and bears other indications about him of being at oft-times a follower of the sea. The instrument upon which he performs is a tambourine, and you will observe, as we extend our investigation into other dance-houses, that such are the simple orchestral elements in every one of them, a fiddle and a tambourine. Walk up toward the bar now, along the sanded floor, and take a glance round the walls as we go. There are about fifty people in the room, most of them seated on the benches along the walls. Twenty or so of these are women. They represent the lowest type of the dolly mop, or sailor's courtesan. Not the Paul or Sue, mind you of the stage sailor, with whom he leaves his likeness and a lock of his hair when he goes afloat, but hard, bitter harridans, who rob him when they have a chance, drinking with him and dancing with him in a cold-blooded, business-like way, entirely devoid of the mirth usually attributed to the partners of those who go down into the sea in ships. They are all dressed in a style of tawdry finery that is repulsive, immense waterfalls, made apparently of horses' tails, sit like poultresses on the napes of their necks. These appendages are profusely decorated with faded ribbons and sewn all over with spangles. Short skirts, frequently of bright tartan patterns, appear to be quite the thing here, showing a good deal of soiled petticoat and cotton stocking. Some of the women have little bells attached to their boots or the bottom of their skirts, which make a wild, savage jingle when they dance. Never in any one of the places as we go do we see one woman bearing the least pretension to good looks. If any of them were born fair of feature, all trace of the natural beauty has long since been obliterated by the attrition of their life. The grooves in which licentious passion and crime run to and fro in the mind have their counterparts in the lines that mark the face. Paint is laid on an inch thick but it cannot conceal the expression of bestial depravity that characterizes these wretched creatures in every case. Can you conceive of men brutal enough to be fascinated by such stagnant sirens as these? And yet there are, and so much the worse for humanity. 
the masculine element here does not consist exclusively of jack tars many of the rough-looking men seated on the benches or drinking at the bar are red-shirted fellows who probably make their living in some way as longshoremen while some among them are pretty well known to the police as river thieves coast pirates in a small way who commit their depredations among the shipping at the wharves they are a hard-looking set wearing mostly very slouching seamless woolen caps with tartan borders and distorted peaks by some instinct they all seem to be aware of the presence of officers although the latter are in citizens clothes they scowl a good deal but keep quiet huddling close up to the women who sit beside them and with whom they are drinking and interchanging a good deal of chaff our guide now introduces us specially to the keeper of the place whose hand you will remark as he grasps yours is of a very coarse and horny texture he is a fellow of great volubility of tongue and likes to pass himself off as having once been a regular pugilist a matter open to some doubt as we subsequently learn there is no doubt however that he has made a large sum of money by his unclean business and could retire to-morrow upon a competent income if he had a mind to do so but these fellows never have they have no resources with which to divert their muggy minds did they retire from business and as their habits of life do not favor longevity they generally cease to encumber the earth at a comparatively early age for the greater part their children continue the business although there are known instances of persons now moving in wealthy circles whose parentage has been traced to the crimp dens and dance houses of the riverside slums on visiting these places it is absolutely necessary to patronize the bar not exactly necessary to drink indeed for having had one taste of the liquor poured out for you nothing is less likely than that you will be in a hurry to drain the maddening cup it is a wonder how people can drink that stuff three times and live the proprietor joins us in the libation at the invitation of the detective whom he knows quite well then having a very keen eye to business he tells us that although drinking is a thing to which he has no positive objection yet he is conscious that dancing is his forte he could not live without dancing he says because it is the only kind of exercise which his business allows him to enjoy and he is a strictly business man all dance is twenty cents says the card hanging behind the bar and you may readily guess that it is not altogether for the love of dancing that the proprietor now orders the music to strike up and busies himself in the formation of a set he makes great efforts to induce you and me to select partners from among the chaste sirens along the wall but we don't see it you know although the officers think it might be a good thing to do once in a way on conciliatory principles and for the good of the house indeed one of them puts his principles into practice and leads out from her retirement by the wall a tall square-shouldered ripper with very decided lines about the corners of her horseshoe mouth and a badly disguised extravasation of blood around her left eye the proprietor who is in his shirt-sleeves leads out two or three and many of the men around also select their partners and presently all are mixed up together in a sort of cotillion a quadrille with a sketch of waltz in it the sounds of the fiddle and tambourine come but feebly through the thumping and shuffling of feet now 
which is not surprising when you consider that most of the men wear cowskin boots and use them with considerable vigor too the dances are repeated very often as newcomers keep dropping in on this occasion everything is so quiet that you ask the detective whether difficulties are not of rather frequent occurrence in the dance houses and how it is that this assembly is so harmonious depends entirely upon who comes in replies the cool-headed functionary any moment now while we are sitting here a man may come in who has an account to settle with one of the blue shirts or red shirts or a spite against the barkeeper or against the proprietor as like as not and then it's all knife and pistol and somebody's sure to get hurt in many cases someone gets shot who has nothing to do with the row it wouldn't be so much matter if the fellows only hit each other how do you manage to make your authority known in such cases by showing this replied the other producing his shield from his trousers pocket but it don't always have the effect we must not forget to fetch these along besides and he just allows you the least peep at a small club concealed inside his coat and a revolver cunningly stowed away where he can readily put his hand upon it it must be a difficult thing in a free fight to determine who struck the first blow or who fired the fatal shot how about that come along said the detective and i'll show you a house where there was one of those mixed fights only a few nights ago once more we tread the unclean haunted streets until we arrive at a red lamp on which is painted the name antonio antonelli it is the beacon light of a dance house not differing materially from the last in its general features but chiefly patronized by italian and spanish sailors and outcast foreign rascals of many queer lingos who are engaged about the wharves here the women seemed to be of several types and races spanish italian and german the latter perhaps predominating there is a sprinkling of irish among them perhaps but all details of character are merged into one debauched type as is usually the case with the abandoned creatures who crowd the cribs of great seaport towns see that dutch girl there said the detective irreverently the one with the net full of yellow hair hanging on the back of her neck and he pointed to a german fraulein of thirty-five or so short of stature and of extremely square build well it was about her that the difficulty happened a portuguese sailor took her away from the man she was dancing with a south american greaser i guess and when the first knife was drawn there were twenty flashing in a jiffy the portuguese had his thumb severed right down to the wrist and no one can tell whose knife did it one of the fellows had a long knife driven into his back and he died the next day when the police came in the row was just over because nearly every man engaged in it was down from loss of blood the whole houseful was taken into custody but none could positively say who struck the fatal blow and so the only thing that came of it was that the rowdies who were all seamen were sent on board the ships to which they belonged are there many robberies committed in these cribs more than are ever heard of outside the place drugged liquor is the commonest way of doing it a girl will find out easy whether a sailor has lately been paid off or is worth so much prize money and has it about him nothing easier than to put him asleep and a robbed sailor has about as much idea how to go about recovering his property as a four-year-old child he takes another drink when he wakes up 
if he has any money left to pay for it, and then goes back to his ship, and gets into just the same sort of scrape again the next time he comes back. And now we go to three or four other cribs of character similar to the ones just described, most of them having attached to them a story of some hideous outrage or crime. There are drunken men in several of them, but stupidly drunk beyond the power of creating any dangerous disturbance. Probably their liquor has been drugged, and if so it might not be a bad plan to pass a law prohibiting any other kind of liquor from being served out in the dance-houses and all such dens. In one of the places the tambourinist is a genius in his way. He is an uncommonly fine-looking fellow, with a handsome open face, and has been a man-of-war's man, as we learn. His mastery over the simple disc of sheepskin, with which he gives time to the feet of the dancers, is really wonderful, and he takes such delight in the instrument himself, that even during the pauses between the sets, he holds it close to his ear and brings soft purring sounds from it that remind him, perhaps, of the far-off breakers on some tropical lee shore. One would think that the man might do better than thrum parchment in a sink of iniquity, but the detective says that he is a half-simple fellow, who cares nothing where he is so long as people give him enough to eat and drink, and let him go back to sea whenever he has a mind to. Better for him to be at the bottom of it than here. It would hardly occur to you, perhaps, that there could be the least bit of romance connected with the inmates of the dance-houses. Could we only know all, there might be more of that than is suggested to us by the low and vulgar scene. Yet there is no class of society so low, according to the police records, as to be destitute of its occasional spice of vicissitude. Only a few years ago, an advertisement appeared in some English and American papers, inquiring for the nearest of kin to some person who had died leaving a large estate. Long and patient investigation, such as is exercised only by solicitors in the hopes of a large reward, disclosed the fact that the heiress to the property was, at the time, an inmate of one of the low dance-cribs in Cherry Street, or in some other street traversing that obscene precinct of the city. The thing was established beyond a doubt, and the history of it is as follows. The girl was of a very respectable Irish family, the branch of it to which she belonged, however, having fallen into decay. They had gone through the encumbered estates court, and, with the small amount of money that accrued to them from the sales, had emigrated to America, leaving behind them one daughter, a beautiful and accomplished girl, who was the governess in an English family of wealth and position. From some circumstance or other, not now remembered by the writer, this young lady resigned or lost her situation, and soon after sailed for New York, with the intention of joining her relatives who had taken up their abode in a western state. She travelled alone, and in rather humble guise, for her purse was very scanty. Lonely as she was, poor girl, it was easy for her to grow intimate with a male protector. The first mate of the vessel was attentive to her, and she was grateful for his good offices. He was a libertine, and on arriving at New York he decoyed her under promise of marriage and effected her ruin. It is a fact that when a well-educated woman falls, she falls faster than one accustomed to a rougher life. Waking or sleeping, her earlier associations are ever before her, 
and the burden of life would be intolerable but for drink and so the hapless victim of the scoundrel mariner took to that as her last resource and she was the most blasphemous and hardened inmate of the crib to which they traced her after so long a search there was no possibility of making her comprehend the news they had for her because her mind was utterly warped and withered from drink and she died of delirium tremens in one of the city hospitals a few days after without ever knowing that she was mistress of money enough to have built a convent or founded a magdalen asylum such are the longshore dance-houses of the city but more in the heart of it there flourish others of a different stamp so far as the type of inmates goes and also differing in general appearance and arrangement some of these are attached to pugilistic drums and such-like places to which an outsider would hardly attribute any establishment beyond the sawdusted bar-room in which beetle-browed characters congregate by day and night to drink strong liquors and discuss topics of the ring one of these resorts which we have now in our mind's eye is but a small crib to look at from the street and when you enter it you will think mayhap that it does not take many customers of a night back of it however there is an extension reached by a narrow creaking stair and having ascended this you will probably find a very large crowd of both sexes assembled in a queer irregular sort of ballroom bulkheads cross out here and there and barriers and railings that seem to have no particular use and every now and then you will find that you will have to go up or down steps to reach some part of the floor to which your attention is directed the crowd is of quite another order to that of the marine cribs there are no partners provided by the house and the women who come in their shawls and bonnets attended by their young men appear to be generally respectable and well behaved what they are it would be hard for one outside the ropes to say ask your detective friend whether women of the town find their way hither and he will probably respond by requesting your definition of a woman of the town many of these females however are the mistresses of the half-pugilistic half-pickpocket kind of young fellows who swarm to the place some of them look so decent that it would be hard to think of them as frail if fair and you will fain set them down as sweethearts only but it is to be feared that such cases are exceptionable and the idea is a romantic one for you we can take our seats carelessly at any of the tables in the room for the place is well watched and disturbances do not often occur here though that as the detective said in the case of the longshore dens depends upon who comes in waiters or in some instances waitresses ask you what you will please to drink and if the liquor is not precisely up to the delmonico standard still it is not the absolute poison dealt out over the bar in the places we have just left doubtless there are a good many thieves in the place and we are quite certain that your black-muzzled fellow with his felt hat slouched over his brows was last seen by us in the essex market police court with gibes upon his wrists there is a space on the floor here dedicated to the demon of dance the timbers of the place creak to the swaying of the dancers the music is usually that of fiddles destitute of the accompaniment of a tambourine 
Still another class of dance houses is that exclusively devoted to the pastimes of the African race. About Wooster Street and West Broadway, in the neighborhood of Canal Street, several of these are in full blast. Dancing is an amusement native to the light-hearted Ethiop, whose morals do not prohibit him either from his favorite enjoyment of gambling and the vices that follow in its train. Most of the Negro dance halls, then, are a combination of that sort of amusement with the gaming table and the mysterious 41144. Some frightfully depraved characters are to be seen in these places. The knife is used with great freedom by the Negro, who seldom shows any fight unless he has cutlery about him, which he generally has. They fight among each other like wolves, but do not often interfere with people of the other color. Sometimes in these dance halls you may see quadroon or mulatto women of immense physical proportions and rather good looks. Nor is it unusual to find in them specimens of female human nature, bloated and distorted out of all semblance to humanity, and of intellect apparently but little superior to that of the so-called lower animals. Curious feats of ventriloquism are sometimes performed in these places of entertainment. The negro seems to have a gift in that way. Some years ago the writer heard one in a dance house in the western section of the city, whose performance was really remarkable. His jingling of bells in his chest was such that a suspicion might have arisen that he had swallowed some of the Swiss bell-ringers, and his concert of farmyard sounds was quite a masterpiece in its way. Well, it is late by the time we have finished our rounds. As we pass through a narrow street on our way home, sounds of revelry are heard approaching, and the officers pause to listen. The revelers prove to be a few German stragglers on their way home from some Harmony Hall. Only Dutchmen, said the detective, they won't do much harm. But if they were Italians now, or Irish, it would be quite another thing. Which was a pretty good comment, after all on the nationalities that make up our mixed community. End of chapter 7